We will be perfect in every aspect of the game. I don't care what the scoreboard says at the end of the game. In my book, we're going to be winners. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first episode of Catch Up With Coach. I am your host, Brett. Super, super excited to be doing this podcast. Figured I'd go ahead and throw my hat in the ring for sports podcasting. We have an exciting first episode. I'm going to be breaking down most of all the major sporting events and the sports of 2021. But first, I wanted to give the listeners a little background on who I am, why we're doing this podcast, so people can understand, you know, what to expect when each podcast rolls out. So uh, my name is Brett. I live in the great southern city of Houston, Texas, which is in major sports disarray. I mean, I definitely plan on getting to that in a later podcast. There's a lot there to unpack, but I went to Texas A&M University. Whoop for those of you out there in the cult. And my friends might say I have a bit of an intense personality um, as it pertains to sports, uh, life, you know, really anything, I guess. In that, in that context, I think that that's where a lot of my coaching personality or coaching mentality comes out. So definitely get the name coach brought up a lot of several different friend circles. So uh, that's kind of where I kind of came up with the name catch up with coach, you know, um, my altered personality of coach, if you if you will. But yeah, I, I think down the road, a dream job or, you know, maybe even sooner than I, I care to wish, but um, would be coaching. So I think I think who knows what could happen. But anyways, I'm, I'm running with the coach name, the coach nickname, because um, at the end of the day, it's it's a good catchy name for this podcast. So, yeah, I work in Houston. I love sports and just really wanted to share sports with, with others. You know, um, I think I hope at least that this podcast will serve as a way to gather interest in a lot of topics across a lot of different sports. I think uh, the unique thing about myself and, and kind of why I wanted to do this podcast is I kind of have a general passion for most all different sports. You know, I have a wide range of, of interests. Uh, I have a general passion for competition and just the spectacle of athletic performance. Um, I grew up playing hockey, golf, track, football for the most part, and um, really were my natural passions. And, and now, nowadays, you know, I, I, I'm only a spectator. I only watch it. And but for that, for that, I, you know, I definitely rely heavily on hockey, golf, and football knowledge, and that'll probably be the bulk of the content of the podcast. But um, I love tennis, um, love soccer, F1 now, which I'll get into as one of the topics of the podcast. A little bit of baseball, um, especially when the Astros are good, hashtag cheating, basketball, uh, the Triple Crown. My, my grandpa's a big horse race follower, so I've kind of always kind of kept the Triple Crown horse races on my radar throughout the year. Um, and even curling in the Olympics, man, when, when they're when they're shoving those pucks down the ice, man, it's uh, it's definitely at least for me entertaining. So um, I, I kind of go all over the map. And, you know, as far as, you know, why me? Why, why do this podcast? I think you, you look at sports, I, I guess, maybe more just media biased and just media in general. And I think there is a lot of just saying the right things 
there's definitely a lot of scripted things in the background as I've listened to some other podcasts and kind of gotten further into knowing how these mega media corporations like ESPN, NBC, CBS kind of operate. You know, there's always going to be an, or an aura or something tied to what they're saying, even if it's a sports broadcast or covering the sports if, in, in the case of ESPN. So um, for me, you know, I, I kind of like to just focus on the sports. I don't want to turn sports into politics. I don't want to turn sports into anything except being able to watch humans express their God-given talents and passions in so many different ways and all over the world. And as a fan of sports, that's what I want to focus on. And so, uh, yeah, this kind of hopefully that's where this podcast is directed in that we get to just I'll have guests on. It won't just be me talking. So if this bores you to death, you know, there's more to come. I just thought it'd be good to kind of give an overview for all the listeners who may be interested in what's coming in the sports world this year. So to summarize, you know, the goal is just to talk about sports and and really just be able to have my passions shared with the listeners and everybody around. So, you know, getting getting really excited. And so I'm kind of leading into this podcast. I think, you know, 2020 was a rough year for for sports just all over the map dealing with this COVID pandemic that came out, you know, about a year ago now. And I, I you saw some networks consolidate. You saw, you know, NBC Sports. Um, well, I guess specifically Golf Channel. You had a bunch of layoffs and consolidation of offices. And you saw a lot of reports like Iowa University coming out talking about financial struggles. F1 is in a lot of debt. You know, it, it was a harsh reminder, I think, last year that, Sports is a business, and, you know, do I want that? No, I, I, I want people to just play the sports that they love and be able to watch the spectacle, right? But at the end of the day, for people to do sports full-time, there's got to be someone paying them. Ergo, it's got to be a business. And I think the harsh realities of, 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 of it being a business kind of definitely showed itself. But this year, you know, we're starting to see the vaccines roll out and, and – starting to have some fans, you know, just watched a little bit of the WGC match play this weekend and, you know, having fans there and hearing some roars in a golf tournament again, it's nice, you know, so hopefully, you know, we're, we're, we're turning the corner in the sports world as we head into 2021. I know there's a lot of masks and a lot of protocols for all these different leagues and, and professional, professional athletes. But um, my hope is that, you know, this year, you know, we can, we can kind of turn the corner and we can kind of shift away from the, the reality that it's a business to just being a fan again. And so, yeah, that's kind of the intro to this first podcast. And I'm going to kind of be all over the map um, for this first podcast from football, golf. I'll touch a little bit on tennis and soccer, you know, maybe some honorable mentions because, you know, I can't cover everything. Otherwise, this may be way longer than I need it to be. But I think I'm going to start out with two things that are going to happen, you know, right now that we're in March. Um, in March Madness and the F1 season. It's actually happening this weekend. But um, yeah, let's let, you know, I guess let's let's start at March Madness. So it started a couple, couple about last weekend, um, I guess a week and a half if you're counting the playing games. But um, it's a 68-team bracket, which for me, I, I get it, more playing, more entertainment. I get that whole thing. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I wish we had just 64 teams or Keep it, keep it a little bit more simple, but um, they had the selection Sunday, uh, March 14th. They select the 68 teams. There's a ton of teams that get automatically in um, by winning their conference. 
and then you have you know the top teams get selected by a committee um, to be placed in whatever seed seeding that there is, and then there's you know four play-in games to fill those final four spots, and then yeah, so I know I'm kind of late to the game on recording this and talking specifically about March Madness, but they have kicked off a ton of upsets. I mean, a ton of upsets. And and to be honest with you, I'm kind of shocked. I feel this is more out of normal. I watch this pretty closely um, year to year. I always do a bracket. I kind of, you know, I got to be honest, I didn't do a bracket this year. Kind of got off my 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 course. I usually do three to five brackets a year. I'm, I'm, I'm very neck deep. But um, in, in any case, I think I follow this pretty closely. And, and this is one of the more upsetted looking brackets that I've seen. I think there was not a lot of brackets after the first weekend that were still perfect. And, you know, going into this weekend, the Sweet 16, so they, they, they naturally they play round of 64. You know, round of 64 started on this past Saturday, and they play round of 64. They have two days of that, and then they'll play round of 32, two days of that. And that kind of all wrapped up Monday of, of, this, uh, of this past week. And so this weekend, they have the Sweet 16. So you got 16 teams left. It's the coin phrase, famous Sweet 16. That's what you want to get to. You win your first two games, and you're in the Sweet 16. And um, that's what we have this weekend. And honestly, you have nine. Oh, so so in, in a perfect world, right, you have the top four seeds of each region would win out, and that'd be your – if you had a perfect favorite seed win everything, you'd have the 16 seeds, right? And and you'd have the 16 teams, one through four for each region. There, of those four, of those 16 seeds, so the top 16 teams essentially, there's only seven of them left. So there are nine five and higher seeds in the Sweet 16, which is nuts. And if you're, as I'm just recording this, Oregon State has won. They've beaten Loya Chicago. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get roasted for mispronouncing that, but yeah, they won, and so we have a 12 seed in the Elite Eight. Um, so go Beavers! My my wife's father went to to Oregon State, so definitely happy about that here in the my wife's side of the Felton family. So uh, yeah, go Beavers! They're in. Baylor's playing right now, and then you'll have Oral Roberts, a 15 seed, taking on Arkansas. Which, by the way. A 15 seed game in the Sweet 16 is is nuts. Um, I can't believe it. You know, knocking off Ohio State in the first round. So you know, Buckeyes. Sorry, I guess you have to wait till the football season. But un- unreal. I think I think the favorite is still Gonzaga. They're undefeated. They haven't lost a game. They're always in the mix every single year. I know they're not in a big Power Five. You know, quote unquote. You know, football term, but quote unquote Power Five conference. But I I like Gonzaga out of that. I think. Um, I think my bold prediction, you know, for and I'll back up a little bit for each of these major tranches of sports coming up this year. I'm going to make a bold prediction. So uh, my bold prediction, you know, Scouts Honor was that there was going to be a lot of a lot of upsets. You know, I'm recording this a little later before you know the, the tournament actually started, but I was expecting a lot of upsets just with a, the crazy year. You know, one game. You know, this tournament is just crazy because you get one good game. If you Number one team in the entire bracket, and you have a bad game. You're done, man. So, I think I think you saw a lot of upsets, and I think that's a product of just I think the inconsistency of 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 this year. I think in college in general, right? You know, you have I think it's really tough to ask these college kids to travel 
all over the country with these COVID protocols and these testings, even with basketball, you have such small rosters. So you have such little bandwidth of, you know, someone getting a COVID caser and, and totally affecting the team. So, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily surprised by these upsets that we've been seeing in, in there. You know, I mean, you got Oregon, a seven seed playing USC, a six seed, you know, that that's a good PAC 12 matchup and you got Michigan playing Florida state, you know? So, I mean, I, I think you'll still see a lot of the higher seeds get to the elite eight and then the, the final four, but yeah, I think I think my bold prediction is Gonzaga finally takes everything down. Um, they don't got to deal with Kentucky. They don't got to deal with Virginia. They don't got to deal with some of the 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 blue bloods that we usually see at this level in North Carolina. Excuse me, things like that. So, I think the yeah, it's this you know this like Friday this this Saturday Sunday, and then Monday Tuesday. So the thirtieth. So kind of at the end of the month, they'll kind of wrap up with the elite eight and they'll have the final four. So um, yeah, be looking for that next weekend where they wrap up the season. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty pumped just to have the tournament back, just to have some normalcy this year, you know, having this ripped out underneath our noses, you know, right. Like, like right now, a year ago was, was pretty heartbreaking and I'm a little, was a little bummed by it to be honest with you, but yeah, that's March madness. That's college basketball um, in a nutshell, kind of wrapping up the season here and, T-minus nine days. Yeah. Now let's move on to F1. So I personally have never, ever followed racing sports pretty much all my life. Um, My my uncle raced um, some like, I think three steps down below NASCAR level boxcars in the Houston area when I was growing up. I mean, that's, that's the closest I ever got to racing. And so F1 is, is kind of a worldwide um, racing league that has you know all the big name brands it's a it's, a, it's kind of like soccer in that it's a real international uh thing so america may not be as exposed to it as, as say the nhl or the nfl but um it's it's really caught my eye this year um with a highly highly recommended netflix documentary called uh drive to f1 drive to survive uh, they cover essentially a, a documentary having cameras and all uh, kind of the behind the scenes of this this F1 league in 2018, 2019, and 2020. So there's three seasons out on Netflix. And so started watching that. My wife has now become a huge fan as well. And we saw um, a lot of really cool just intricacies in watching that documentary. And now I'm totally bought in. I think it's, I think it's so awesome how much just – little things there are within this league like nhl or uh, i keep using the nhl but the nfl you know you you got your teams you have you know there's not a lot of intricacies that you hear about within a team so to speak so like the eagles you don't hear like about how this person's a rival with this person so much so is this team's in disarray or or the team's doing really well or how about the quarterback you know uh, there's so much you know it's like a little it's almost like a little high school because you have, I'll give some background, I guess, to the listeners. So how F1 works is you have 10 teams, you have two drivers a team, and so 20 drivers total. Now they race around 21 races a year and you only get points. So so it's just kind of like NASCAR. You get points, you get wins, you know, just as you're trying to work through a season long race to gain the most wins, most points. Um, and you only get points for the top 10. So only 50% of the drivers get points that go to their respective teams, right? And 
And there's only one car a team, really. So each team, which I'll get into the team names in a minute, each team has one car, and there are two drivers drive the same exact car. And so not only that, they travel around together, right? And so they're in this little, you know, they, they set up their little team camps. They're all in a row together behind the racetrack or in the racetrack area, like week in and week out for the races. So they're all next to each other. So there's all this drama around this team having some sort of back-end politics against the other team because they don't like something that they did. And you have this driver moving to this other team because they think they've got a better chance of winning because they've got the better car. And it is it can be chaotic. And it's like you'll get a spat. Like you'll get – you'll get uh, the the essentially each team has a, like a CEO or what they call a team principal. So you'll get the Mercedes team's team principal, a guy named Toto, up against the the Red Bulls team principal and and Christian Horner, and they'll be talking smack to each other, you know, publicly or or, or challengingly, and then they've got to go see each other every week. So you know, it's it's just crazy that they're they're literally walking past each other, talking smack saying something about their team, proposing their team. They, they got to they gotta look at each other. You know, I mean, you got, if someone in San Francisco 49ers is talking smack about the Philadelphia Eagles, they're never going to see each other except maybe once a year um, when they play each other in the NFC. Like, it's totally different because you have can have all this smack talk, you can have all this drama, and they have to face each other on a week-in, week-out basis. So there's just so much material there that I have totally latched onto and am super excited about this year. So. Let's get into a little bit of the teams and what I'm looking for. Um, I, I will ramble, especially on things that I'm excited about. So the F1 season, they race all year long. What they do is each team has their, you know, they're essentially they do engineering. So like in 2020, every team spending a bunch of money to prep their and design their 2021 car. Then they reveal their 2021 car in the early 2021 and something called preseason testing. That's March 12th through March 14th. Um, so it's already happened. And then two weeks later, first race happens. So they do all this prep work. You, you hope your, your, your car's good when you come out to preseason testing. And then, boom, you're going right to the race. And then it's just a whirlwind to the end of the season. So there's a lot of front-end work and a lot of money spent in the prior year, um, which I'll get into a little bit. But um, so this weekend, actually, Sunday, March 28th, um, is the first race. It's in Bahrain, which is Saudi Arabia. It's a it's a province of Saudi Arabia. It's owned by Saudi Arabia, but it may be its own country. I'm not really sure, so don't quote me or, or badmouth me because I don't understand the the national context of Bahrain. But um, goes all the way through December 12th, which will finish in Abu Dhabi. But they pretty much go to major countries across the world. So, like, the United States has one in Austin. They'll go to Australia. They'll go to Austria. They'll go to they'll go to the UK. They'll go to they'll go to Italy. They'll go to Germany. They'll go, I think they go to the Middle East like three or four times. So they go to Mexico. They go to South America. So really just a worldwide thing. And, and I think it's very popular at an international scale. So uh, again, highly recommend the sport. I, I can't say enough about how excited I am for the year. So let, let's talk about what I'm actually excited about. Let's get specific. So you have a lot of battles, not just for first. You have a lot of battles from the first team to the 10th team. And so the top two teams out there right now are, are Mercedes and Red Bull. Uh, they spend the most money. They do the best. Um, Ferrari has been there in the past in, in the context. I mean, they were one of the first teams. They may have been the first F1 team out there since the 50s. 
they've always been the blue bloods of the sport as well. They spend them, they spend just as much money as Mercedes and Red Bull does. And, but they've fallen off. They got, they got into some hot water with, uh, essentially some, some engine, you know, not following the right protocols. Cause all these, you know, every, every team has to design their own car and abide by certain regulations. And so there's some skepticism off, you know, at the end of 2019 about Ferrari's power unit or engine. And, uh, so the FIA, who's the governing body of, of this F1, um, in its entirety, kind of slapped them on the wrist. And, and then ever since then, they've fallen off the map. 2020, they did, they were garbage. Um, I, I believe, I want to say they were outside. Yeah, they were outside the top five. They finished six. And so for our, for Ferrari to finish six is, abs- is absurd. And they've been third for forever. Yeah, so you got that kind of, those are the three blue bloods of the sport that spend the most money, usually have the fastest cars. Now, McLaren um, and Aston Martin, which was formerly known as Racing Point, and another company called Alpine, which is essentially Renault, which is a huge car manufacturer in France. Uh, those three teams are kind of like the middle of the pack. Now, McLaren is making big pushes up to the top, you know, with Ferrari struggling. They, they finished third last year. So... Uh, that's kind of your middle of the pack teams, and that is very interesting. There's a lot of drama around those teams. Uh, essentially, you have a driver who I'll talk a little bit when I get to the driver lineup. You have Daniel Ricardo, who, when I picked this up in 2018, was racing for Red Bull and then moved to Renault because he thought Renault was going to be up and coming. And Renault had not done as good. I mean, he granted, he did finish fifth last year, so he spent two years with Renault, and now he's going to McLaren, though. So Ricardo's like making all these mid-team hops and it's just, it causes a bunch of drama because he announced that before the 2020 season and and the team principal, a guy named Cyril, who's no longer with Renault, or I guess I should say they're called Alpine now, is <laughs> like, if you watch the documentary, he's like crying how upset he is that Daniel Ricardo is is leaving the team for McLaren, like a rival, like a mid-team rival. So it's just... That you you see that all the time. There's just so much good entertainment drama because you have crap like that happen all the time, um, just even week to week. And and from what I gather from the F1, there's just there's just so much there's just so much good material. I can't speak enough about it. I mean, I I'd go into way more. So, but I guess I gotta I gotta move on. Um, so let me talk round out the kind of the context here. So you got kind of the middle teams: you, Aston Martin, um, Alpine, and and. McLaren, Alpine, and, and Renault. And then you kind of have a couple of the, what I'm going to call the bottom feeders. So love these teams. There's some great drivers among these teams and super entertaining. But they spent, they don't spend as much as, say, Mercedes or Red Bull, um, which is all changing starting this year too, um, which I'll get into here in like 30 seconds. But yeah, so you round out the kind of the bottom feeders, a, a team called Alphatari, which is kind of Red Bull's second team. That's kind of where they, they have junior drivers come in. It's kind of like their farm system for their top Red Bull team. You have a team called Williams, a team called Haas, and a team called Alfa Romeo, and that's kind of your bottom four. So you kind of got the three, three, and four. Now, it's that's getting all sh- – I, I expect that to get all shaken up. So, um, But let's talk about the two two final things I want to make on F1 is is the new spending cap for the teams and the latest driver shakeup. So basically before this year, teams could spend whatever the heck they wanted on, on car development, you know, research analytics, 
parts, design, whatever, that sky was the limit, right? And so you had huge spending by some of the top teams. And granted, they've got the best cars, so that makes sense. You spend more, you get more out of a car. And so that that's usually, that's like I said, that's your Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull. They spend 400, or at least this is a 2019 report, they spend about 440 million or more per team. So each of those teams is spending almost half a billion dollars in one year on just their car, their season, everything. And you contrast that with the middle team. So, you know, your fourth and fifth biggest spenders in Renault and McLaren, they spend 270 million. So you're talking 170 million at least less than the top teams. And then you have the bottom five teams who all spend under 200 million. So, so with that context, they have now rolled out a new rule to kind of help stabilize the financials of F1 because they're in terrible debt as an entire entity um, and to help kind of create a little bit more parity and a little bit more entertainment for the fans. And they're coming out with a new, for this year, it's going to be $145 million is their limit uh, for, and that excludes driver salaries, but strictly on what I would call car development and their team development, they can only spend $145 million. That's, that's their staff outside like the top three people and that's a huge cut. I mean, you think about Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull, I mean, that's a third of their budget. And so, you know, I'm really looking forward to see how that plays out and more so in future years, because I think most of the money had been spent last year for this year's car. You know, I think Mercedes is like a 60% overhaul from last year's car. So I don't know how much it'll be a player in this year's on track results, but it is going to create, I think, another level of complexity and another level of, I wouldn't say complexity, another level of interest in the sport because now you don't have a $300 million parity between the top team and the worst team. You know, they're all in a level playing field and the level playing field is down towards the bottom five spin, spenders of the league, of the of, of, of F1. So over time, I think it's going to play a, play a factor. I think Mercedes and Red Bull will be the clear winners this year, but... Yeah, now let's talk driver shakeup. So you had at the start of the season a lot. That, so all these drivers are on contracts. And so basically, if a contract expires, they can go to another team. Or if they aren't happy with, you know, like I said, another part of the drama is you have inner inner driver or intra-team driver um, drama because you'll have, a you know, perfect example. Over the last year, Red Bull, Max Verstappen, he's been their their blue blood. He's been their top dog. That's who Chris Horner loves and wants to be the face of Red Bull. And as of the last two years, they have not had a second driver come up anywhere near Max Verstappen's level of performance, but they're racing the same car. And so that's a huge drama point for the, for Red Bull because they've had to move drivers down to their junior league in the middle of the season and bring junior drivers up because they're trying to figure out how to find somebody that can get the same out of the car that Max gets. And so and you have essentially, you know, you got, you got these guys that get paid millions of dollars, you get ego, right? So you got two drivers, they're trying to do the best for themselves as an individual so they can be marketable if their contract runs out. So if they're, they're racing against each other, even though they may be on the same team. And so there could be some competition there. If they get next to each other on the grid or on the track, you know, there's tension because they may not want to be thought of as number two or number one. So, um, Anyways, these guys are all on contracts, and I think the the biggest thing that happened is just a bunch of daisy chain events happened this past year. You had you had Sebastian Vettel 
uh, be told by Ferrari, who's a four-time world champion, was told by Ferrari, uh, they're not essentially extending their, his contract. And then you had race, uh, Racing Point pretty much say the same thing to Sergio Perez, but at the end of the season. So like almost all the seats for F1 for 2021 were getting filled up, and Sergio Perez was told, hey, bye-bye, because Aston Martin or Racing Point had their eyes on Vettel, who was being let go from Ferrari, which is nuts. Um, and the other key drama point here for Racing Point is the a key owner of Racing Point is a guy named Lawrence Stroll. His son, Lance Stroll, drives for Racing Point or Aston Martin now. Um, so they weren't going to get rid of the owner's son out of the league. So it was Sergio Perez who had to go, which who, who by the way, finished fourth in the driver standings, which is absurdly high for a mid-team, mid-team car. So he raced his, his butt off this year and then got let go by racing. It's kind of a sleazy move. But anyways, Red Bull ended up picking him up. The guy last year, a guy named Alex Albon, wasn't up to snuff with Verstappen. So they're bringing Sergio Perez in, which is, which is really good. So essentially Red Bull's got Max Verstappen as always, and now Sergio Perez. And Racing Point kept Lance Stroll and now has Sebastian Vettel. You also, as I mentioned, you have Daniel Ricciardo going to McLaren from Renault um, in, a, in a pre-2020 announcement that left Cyril distraught, the team principal from Renault, who actually stepped down. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of, lot of disarray for the Renault, or I should say Alpine uh, team. And then with Ferrari letting Vettel go, they picked up Carlos Sainz, who moved on from McLaren, who had a very good year, finished sixth in the driver standings. And then you had a Fernando Alonso, who was a historical great in F1. He retired a couple years ago, has come back out of retirement, and will now be racing for Alpine and Renault, um, backfilling Daniel Ricciardo's spot. And then kind of the other major driver shakeup is, yeah, you had Haas, who's a bottom feeder, did not do well at all, dropped both their drivers. They picked up um, a famous offspring, Michael Schumacher, the seven-team all-time champion, one of the all-time greats, raced for Ferrari. His son, Mick Schumacher, who won F2 this year, which is like the minor league of F1, is driving for Haas. And they pick up another guy, um, Nikita Mazepin. uh, Hopefully I pronounced that right. So so in summary, a lot of drivers shake up, um, but I'll kind of give you the final rundown and so you got Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas for Mercedes. You have Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez for Red Bull. You have Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo for McLaren. You have Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel for Aston Martin, or formerly known as Racing Point. You have Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso racing for Alpine, formerly known as Renault. You have Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz racing for Ferrari. You have Pierre Gasly and Yuki Tsunoda. Tsunoda? I'm not going to be able to pronounce that right, so whatever. Um, racing for Alphatari, which is Red Bull's junior team. You have Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi racing for Alfa Romeo. You have Mick Schumacher and Nikita Mazepin racing for Haas. And you have George Russell and Nicholas Latifi racing for Williams. So uh, my bold prediction this year is that I think Red Bull finally puts it together. Um, I might be eating these words if Sergio Perez cannot bring it this year, but I think Botas is on his final year uh, with Mercedes. He's getting absolutely tired of finishing second to Lewis Hamilton. He's kind of a, I don't care this year. I'm going to do what I want. So I think there's going to be a lot of drama in the Mercedes team this year that Toto, love me, love me Toto, team principal. The dude's quoting my friend Taylor. He's the Nick Saban of 
of F1. I I don't know if Toto will be able to handle it because I, I think these guys just have too big an ego. But I think there's going to be too much drama in the, the Mercedes camp. I don't think their car will be up to snuff with Red Bull this year. That's the rumor, at least. Um, and I think Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez with Red Bull, and they topple Mercedes, and Mercedes does not get their eighth championship in a row. That's my bold prediction. And let's move on because I've probably talked way too much about F1. So um, let's move on to the MLB. Season starts April 1st, so coming coming around the corner here in a few days. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of baseball, but I've always kind of had some interest because of the Astros and you know recently their success. Um, not going to get into the cheating scandal. I think it's terrible what happened, but um, I will cover that most likely in our Houston sports podcast that I'll, I'll hopefully roll out in the future. But I was proud of my Astros through all the COVID, through all the stuff that happened last year. They got to the ALCS. So I'm pretty pumped about that. I think uh, COVID-wise for the year, I think there's it's really going to be city to city as far as who can attend games. But I expect there to be some fans, just like I've seen some fans at golf tournaments and depending on the state. So uh, just be on the lookout for for seeing a baseball game in your in your town. I will say going to baseball games is very fun. So love going to Minute Maid here in Houston and watching the Astros play. It's definitely a fun time. So uh, just be on the lookout for tickets in your local city if if, if you're doing if they're doing uh, you know kind of fans in attendance kind of protocols. So um, they're going to be doing the full season, um, 162 games. Kind of interesting that you got a backup squad of five players in the event of COVID. So if you know if a team is worried about you know, meeting roster requirements going into it uh, a weekend with a, against a team if they're traveling or something. That, you know, they can travel with kind of, but they got this kind of like backup backup team. So, um, really excited to kind of see how that plays out along with like double headers. If they're playing double headers, they'll be seven innings long. So, kind of going back to old school baseball habits where you're playing only seven, you know, you're playing two games a day, you finish with seven innings so you can travel or whatever, get kids home. So, kind of cool to see a little bit. I guess, again, it kind of goes back to these leagues. Professional leagues will kind of do whatever they need to do to um, have a season and have it go, you know, as smooth as they can. So it's kind of cool to see even, you know, young young baseball or kind of maybe small-town baseball habits kind of even at the professional level. So I think that's cool. Um, I got two bold predictions. Uh, my one bold prediction is that the Astros um, will finish – better than the Yankees. Yankees, you keep spending money, and they, the Astros have, have outdone you. Now, granted, I understand the cheating scandal. I get it. You yell, yell at me right now through the, through your car, through wherever you're listening at. I get it if you're a Yankees fan. But I think that I think the Astros will finish. I think they still have a good core group. Now, we can just get Correa to sign on. Um, you know, I think it'll be a good year for the Astros, and, and I'm, I'm excited. You know, I think... Uh, the second bold prediction, I think the Astros will get to the ALCS. Um, I think they've got, again, their core group, I, you know, Springer left. I get that. Um, but hopefully, I'm crossing my fingers that Correa can sign up. Well, I guess he's going to play this year anyways, regardless of the contract. So, um, yeah, going to have your core group this year. If Verlander's coming back, so hopefully he stays healthy. So if we stay healthy, that's a big caveat for the Astros right now. Um, I think they will get to another ALCS trip. Um, and, yeah, they'll, t- they'll take it down. So. Um, be definitely rooting for it. Um, hope, hope the Astros can, can put together another good season. It's always fun to have good at, you know, sports teams and 
we're not going to get it from the Rockets and we're not going to get it from the Texans. So definitely got my eggs for Houston sports. I got my eggs in the Astros basket basket this year for performance. So um, that's really all I have on, on, on baseball. Just kind of, I'm excited for it. I think, um, you know, you'll have, you know, the Cubs can make a push as far as the NL goes, but you know, they're, they're running out. I got no, no friend of mine. Who's a, who's a coast fan. So I know he'll be rooting for that as well. So, Maybe maybe we'll have Cubs Astros. How how cool would that be? You know, two historically, you know, they aren't. Their, let's just say they're not the Red Sox or not the Yankees. How cool would it be to see those two classic franchises hit the hit the World Series together? But um, I don't. I, that's not part of my bold prediction. My bold prediction is solely focused on the Astros beating the Yankees and the Astros getting to the ALCS. So, uh, wrap up with with baseball. Let's go to golf. This is my passion right now. Love golf. I know that people it gets a bad rap for being too slow. It's what you want to nap to in Sunday afternoons. It's a slow game. It doesn't have the action packed of like football or hockey, but got the first major coming up in a couple weeks. We got the masters. So uh, there are four major weekends that I, you know, I, I watch a lot of golf, but for, for the casual fan, there's four major weekends that you want to keep track of. That's the four major championships. You got the mat. We got the masters, the PGA championship, U S open, and the British Open this year. So got all four majors. We didn't have the British last year, which is kind of disappointing. I, I didn't really understand. I, you know, I didn't really dive too deep into it. But I, just, I couldn't get a great reasoning for why we couldn't do it. You know, I mean, the quarantining, I guess, is probably the big thing for, for the UK, I guess, probably if you had to sum it up. But yeah, super pumped for this year. I'm excited, but also upset. I think Tiger Woods, the injury that happened a few weeks ago is just was so terrible. And um, I, Tiger Woods is I'm, I'm my favorite golfer of all time. I think what that guy has done with the golf club in the last 20 years has changed the game. I mean, um, I'm not going to get on my Tiger Woods ramble. Maybe that, maybe maybe we can do a Tiger Woods separate discussion. Maybe bring a, another Tiger fan in and we do a we do a podcast on him. But um, the guy has changed the game. He's put it on the map. I mean, these guys are getting paid millions of dollars in winnings for winning tournaments because of him. I mean, the guy, the guy. I mean, is he the go? I I don't know. Jack Nicholas has more majors. I mean, the guy. Jack Nicholas has thirty-seven top twos in majors. That Tiger doesn't have that. But I will say Tiger has been the most absolute dominant worldwide phenom golfer in my lifetime, and love love him and to see him go out with that I wouldn't say go out but to see him go through that that car crash and the injuries that he had that is that is heartbreaking and best to best wishes to Tiger and him getting back to may hopefully back to the PGA Tour and back to playing professional golf if that's what he deems he's wanting to do now post post car wreck but um, back to the golf um, I am excited for this year um, I, I watch a or listen to a podcast called No Laying Up, and it's just a, a golf, strictly a golf podcast. And so through that, I've been a fan of Max Homa, um, who they're who they're friends with, and I listen to Max Homa's podcast as well. And so definitely get deep into the golf knowledge and golf news. Um, Max Homa won the Genesis Invitational earlier this year, which was really cool to see. That's his like favorite thing to win of all time. He was tearing up when he won. Um, you have Jordan Spieth playing well this year. So um, he kind of came back on the map. Um, he hadn't won yet, but um, he's playing really, really well. Um, you got a lot of really good golfers playing really, really well. I know Brooks Kepka's out with injury, but he won earlier this year. 
You got DJ winning the Masters and number one player in the world has dominated the golf scene the last six months. I mean, winning the FedEx Cup, winning a couple times in the playoffs. Um, you got Bryson DeChambeau with all the drama around the the distance game. You know, him putting on all that weight. Is he using steroids or not? I don't know. I will not speculate, but be as it if you will. You gained 60 pounds in three months. Something's up. Um, but anyways, he worked. I, I, I don't want to dog him too much. He, he works really hard. That is well validated that the guy hones his craft and works so well and so hard on doing what he wants to do to have the edge on the course. And um, his latest thing is distance. So he's just trying to overpower all this golf course. And it's been uh, the pod, no laying up, NBC, the golf channel. Dude, we just get inundated with this talk about distance. And, you know, I think the USGA and the RNA are going to have to come out and, and make some decisions on either tempering the equipment, creating a different equipment qualification or standards for professionals versus amateurs. Something will have to come out because there's not enough real estate for these golf courses to get longer and longer. And Bryson DeChambeau is clearly right or wrong, has gone down this route within the rules. And it's, and it's creating a lot of discussion around, is it okay? Is this the way golf should be played fundamentally? And so make, make up your own mind if you're a golf fan. Um, but at the end of the day, it is nuts watching that guy hit 360, 370, 380, 390 yard drives. Um, he played horrible at the Masters last year, but I, I don't count him out this year. He's playing really well. He has won this year. He won the U.S. Open last year. You have Colin Morikawa, who won. He's a young phenom. He's already won four times this year. Um, you got Justin Thomas, who's just won a couple weeks ago. He's playing really well. So you got a lot of good, famous golfers playing really, really well going into the first major. So I'm super pumped for the year. So let's get into a little bit of the majors briefly, and then we'll move on to the, the next sport. So you got the Masters. Coming up April 8th through 11th, um, absolutely my favorite weekend of the year. Um, that place, I, I've, I went in 2016. There's not a blade of grass out of place. It is unbelievable. Um, we were going to go again, me and my father were going to go in 2020, but it got canceled. And then 2020, I think it got deferred. So I hope, cross my fingers, we'll still go in 2022. But anyways, love the Masters. I just, you know, they have the locked prices on food from like 1980s. Just this, the history, the picturesque golf course, the music, just the time of year. It's springtime. It's just, it's, it's, it's a great weekend. So um, put it on your calendars. Come up in a couple weekends. Uh, who do I like to win? I think uh, if DJ can figure it out, I think he's certainly a favorite. Um, he has not been playing well as of the last few weeks um, coming off, uh, coming off of just a little bit of break. But I, I think um, he, you can't count him out. Best golfer in the world right now. Um, who Another person I really like is Jordan Spieth. With him playing well, Masters is his best course. He plays it so well. It's just such a creative masterpiece for him to paint on. Um, I think Bryson DeChambeau, I know he didn't play well, but you cannot overstate the fact that if he if he putts like he can putt, like he putt at the U.S. Open, he's going to overpower Augusta National and could very well win running away. So my bold prediction Jordan Spieth wins the Masters in 2021. Kershaw is winning ways. He's playing too good right now not to win the Masters. I mean, the guy is in contention when he's playing at half speed, and he's definitely like 89% speed right now. So, Jordan Spieth, he's it. So, may may or may not, you know, kind of a little bit of forte, may or may not have a Masters preview podcast coming out in a couple weeks. I, I don't know. So, we'll see. To be determined. Um, but, yeah, moving on to the PGA Championship. It's a golf second major. It's May 20th to the 23rd. I actually think my wife and I may go to this. We're going to be in South Carolina 
for a wedding. So we kind of make a trip out of it. And uh, so may go to it. I'm really excited about it. It's in uh, Kiwa, uh, in Kiwa Island at a beautiful course called the Ocean Course in, in Kiwa Island. DJ's from South Carolina, or at least went to college in South Carolina, and has won at Kiowa before because they usually have a PGA Tour stop in Kiowa. So um, I certainly think he's the favorite. I don't know if this is a bold prediction. I guess it's a bold prediction because he's not playing well, but um, I think DJ wins the PGA Championship. I think the U.S. Open is the next one on the list, June 17th through the 20th. Um, Torrey Pines. Um, so if you remember 2008, Tiger Woods winning without a left leg, which was unbelievable. Go YouTube some of that. And that, there's plenty of articles out there. The guy was like sleeping on a, on a therapy bed and in, in, in between rounds to drain fluid out of his knee. I mean, it was unbelievable that guy. I mean, he didn't have a leg. And I think he fractured it on like hole seven. Um, and it's unbelievable how competitive Tiger Woods he won it. So anyways, they're back to Torrey Pines this year. And Bryson's going to have a hard time being beat when a golf course is really long with a lot of rough and very narrow. It's only going to play into Bryson DeChambeau's hands if he can stay long and putt well. Um, Patrick Reed did win earlier this year at Torrey. So um, he may win if he doesn't cheat, which I, I can't believe some of the cheating things that he's been allegated or proving or not, but whatever. I mean, some of the things he's done, man, like what, why even put yourself in that situation, Patrick? Like, I think he's a great golfer, but I mean, the claim that ball was plugged this year at Torrey Pines and the whole waste area cheating. And, you know, if you go listen to No Laying Up, uh, they do an interview with Peter Costas. And Peter Costas specifically references witnessing Patrick Reed cheating like two other times. So they got, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get on, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but just don't put yourself in those situations. And it, but nonetheless, he has a decent chance of winning. Um, my bold prediction, though, Bryce is going to be tough to beat. My bold prediction is Bruce Kepka comes back from injury and wins the U.S. Open. Boom. There you have it. Five majors for the for the big man. Let's move on to the British Open. Last tournament, last, last major of the year. Such a fun tournament to watch. Um, Lynx golf just is so much different than how we play golf in America. Um, I went to St. Andrews a few years ago and playing there, playing Lynx. I loved it. It's your creative mind. The, the balls roll. It's just it's picturesque up in the, the British Isles. And so um, it's just, if nothing else, it's fun to watch. Um, it's in Royal St. George's in England this year. My bold prediction is that Colin Morikawa wins the British Open. If you want to win the British Open, you need to be a ball striker. You need to be able to work the ball. You need to be able to do the, do whatever you want with the ball. And Colin Morikawa is the best ball striker on tour right now. So I think he puts it together. You don't necessarily have to putt too well at the British. You just got to be able to get the ball in the right spots and, that's so that's my that's my prediction so in summary who do i have winning the majors this year in golf i've got jordan spieth winning the masters i've got i've got dj winning the pga i've got bricks kepka winning the u.s open and i've got colin morikawa winning the british so i like my chances definitely some stepping out with brooks a little but i like my chances so um, that's the majors the other thing i'll mention too is you got the Ryder cup which is a very historical great tournament great event each year it got postponed from last year, but essentially the it's a U.S. it's a match play event where the U.S. players, a team of U.S. players, plays a team of Europe players, and for some odd reason, it's always the most dramatic event of the year when it's played. Last year, or two year, or in 2018, I guess they played in France. You know, U.S. were heavy favorites, and Europe or the Europe team came in and just whooped the Americans, and so. Americans just can't put it together when they're on foreign soil, but luckily they're playing at Whispering 
Whistling Straits, sorry, up in uh, Wisconsin this year. So they're on home turf. So rooting for the U.S. They've got eight out of the top ten in FedEx, eight out of the top ten in the World Golf Rankings. There's too many good putters out of those guys as well. Roy McIlroy's not playing well. So I think U.S. runs away with the Cup this year is my bull prediction for the Ryder Cup. So um, got a few more sports. Going to wrap it up here. NHL, Stanley Cup. The finals, the playoffs that's coming, they're, they're already in season. And, you know, they usually play from October to May-ish and then the playoffs. So that's going on right now. I grew up playing hockey. I know a little oddball being from the South, but love the sport. It's just such a great, I mean, it's it's a tough sport. You know, they're playing every three or four days and it's a very physical sport like football. And But you're skating on ice, you're going faster um, than running in some instances. So very Good game to watch. Very fascinated. I mean, the way the puck moves, I, I get it. If you're just watching the – following the puck is tough, but I think that um, it's, it's a game worth watching. And with ESPN picking up a seven-year contract um, starting in 2021-2022, it's, it's going to be right back on the map. You know, there was a big NHL lockout in 2004-2005 um, due to a disagreement on salary cap. Players need money, you know. And it kind of spiraled the NHL out of relevancy. Um, you know, it, it didn't really get back on the map until NBC started broadcasting it again. I, I forget the time frame, but it was years ago in, in the, you know, 10 years ago, maybe. I don't know. So, But it's slowly worked its way back up. And now with ESPN taking over uh, broadcasting rights, it's uh, I'm, I'm really happy for the NHL to, to kind of get more back on the public map in America. And it is a sport worth watching. It's a sport worth following. and yeah, this year, this year in particular, you got the the division split up uh, based on location, which is totally different how they do it before. Uh, they have a Western Conference and Eastern Conference, and they basically have, you know, it is regional, but this is even more regional in, in a sense that you just you strictly have, you know, forget forget Eastern Central or anything. You have a North Division, you have a Central Division, you have a West Division, you have an East Division. That's it, and um, playing a lot of back to back games to kind of help minimize the travel so completely different structure than what you usually see which is interesting in and of itself i mean the north division is is literally all canadian teams and so that's just yeah it's just crazy how they've how they set it up and you know playing you are playing in your home home ice so that there is traveling and everything so that's that's good some fans can go but yeah it's just crazy how they're doing it this year with so many different structure changes so I mean, in the Central Division, you kind of got the Lightning. I mean, Dallas Stars are in this division, so if you're, you know, you're Texas, you're following the Stars. So I like the Stars, but personally, I'm a Washington Capitals fan. I love Alexander Ovechkin. He's my favorite player. He's a winger that's like scored so many goals. Um, I, I I love him. Um, this has nothing to do with the Central Division, which I know I was about to talk about. They're in the East, you know, Washington D.C., Washington Capitals. Um, seen them play. I've actually been to their stadium there, or the the, the ice there. Uh, fun to watch them play. Just love the way Ovechkin plays. He's a top to bottom, physical, offensive minded goal scorer, and that's just like that's that's what I love to watch. And just the goals he scored over time has been great. So, anyways, just being a fan of Ovechkin has made me a fan of Capitals. So I'm not bandwagoning by any means. Capitals are usually really good. I I just I love Alexander Ovechkin so much. When he retires, I'll probably default to the Stars. Um, but, yeah, so let me talk a little bit about the divisions. Central Division is kind of a central team. So, you know, your, your Nashville Predators, Dallas Stars. You do have kind of the, the previous, um, one of the previous better teams from last year, the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
They are the defending champs. Um, I think they're going to come out of there, out of the division. So basically, the top four teams in each division will play in the playoffs. So the playoffs are going to end here in, a, in a, about six weeks or so. Or the playoffs will start, I should say. Um, and you got the top four teams are essentially going to play in their own little bracket. And then the winner of each division plays each other in like a semifinal. So I think the Lightning will come out of the Central Division. Um, I think the Caps had a Washington Capitals had a little bit of a shaky start in the East Division, but now they've resumed their typical place in first. Um, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Boston Bruins are looming and will make the playoffs. So when they come in the playoff time, they always play well. They always knock off my cap. It makes me so frustrated. But I still think the Caps, and I'm hopeful the Caps will come out of the East Division. In the West Division, you kind of you got a Colorado Avalanche, you got the LA Kings, you got a new team in Vegas. Um, Black Knights, um, which they kind of are good and they're probably going to win the division. But I always put an asterisk by that because they're a development team. So they essentially got to cherry pick some players off of other teams to make their team back in 2017. And so, like, for instance, they got Mark andre Fleury, which came, who came from Pittsburgh, and he's, like, one of the best goalkeepers ever for Pittsburgh. So I think they're going to come out of the West. Um, and then I think the Maple Leafs, who are leading um, – the Canadian or Northern division right now. Uh, they got a lot of young talent. They got a name, got a guy named Austin Matthews. Who's great. I think they're going to come out. So in summary, uh, my prediction is the lightning out of the central Washington capitals out of the East Vegas black Knights out of the West and Maple Leafs out of the, out of the, the, the North. Yes. They're all winning their divisions. Sue me. I think they're going to win. You know, I'm, I'm here to pick winners. I'm not here to pick underdogs. I'm here to pick winners. Um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yell at me later. Um, my bold prediction, though, is I think Ovechkin scores 22 more goals, which is what he needs to get to fourth place all-time in the goal standing. So he needs 22 more goals. I think he can do it. He's got like 18 on the year or something like that. So, I mean, he's got to go a little bit better and a little bit past halfway. So, I mean, he, he, it's a stretch, but I think he's going to pull it together. He's been playing really good as of the last few games. Um, he'll he'll jump Brett Hull and become fourth all-time. It puts him 152 goals away from Gretzky's record, which we've all thought is unbeatable. Does he get it? I, I don't know. He probably's got to play another, you know, you get 40. I mean, he's got to play another four to six years maybe to get to get that. Uh, does he break the record? I don't know. It'd be kind of cool. So as I started this podcast, you know, I'm a newbie. Give me some grace. Uh, didn't realize how long uh, this podcast was going to be. So I've decided to break this up into two parts. So this this kind of wraps up part one and we'll have a part two come out shortly thereafter. I um, kind of just tried to break it up. So, you know, I, I didn't intend for a, a two-hour marathon. Welcome to Brett Rambling. So, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for listening to part one of the inaugural Catch Up With Coach episode, first episode. We will be perfect in every aspect of the game. I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're gonna be winners. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night!